Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is John, and I have not read any of Garth Ennis's Preacher. And I am Nick, and I have read all of Garth Ennis's Preacher. Today, we'll be discussing episode four of the show, titled Monster Swamp. While we'll not be spoiling any of the comic, and by extension, any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of this specific episode uh, in the series through episode four. So pause this and go watch the show before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com. We're also G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show, share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on air, send us corrections, observations, anything regarding Preacher to our podcast. Two household uh, housekeeping things at the moment on g2tpodcast.com. There are now links to two other pages if you're visiting via desktop or in the menu if you're on mobile. Click on Dylan Face to see what we mean when we talk about Dylan Face. Mm-hmm. And click on questions to keep up with the questions the show has made us ask, as well as any answers that may have been provided up to this point. Uh, we got some more feedback from Bruce. Just wanted, to, And this is Bruce's feedback now. Just wanted to say thanks to the shout out. And yes, I did mean Talking Preacher. I blame AMC for having too many talk shows at this point. My feedback here is pretty minimal on this one. I'm still a little annoyed with the Tulip story since they've had multiple opportunities to tell us a bit more, but they just aren't taking them. I did like the early bird cameo by quote-unquote spoiler bald man in white suit. Also, hate to be that guy who corrects people on the internet, but remember, I, I remember Donnie's last name being mentioned as Schneck. Shen, Shank? Shank. Shank. Yeah. Yeah. Probably misspelled that in the pilot, so he wouldn't be uh, Ken Cannon's son. Anyways, keep up the good work, Bruce. P.S. I figured I'd mention this since my podcast came up. I actually have two unproduced preacher movie scripts that will be on an episode down the line, which one of which was written by Garth Ennis. Oh, whoa. Pretty cool. That is cool. Um, so, yeah, that's that. Just a quick, uh, like, you know, more in depth discussion of who I am. I'm John. I'm from the Midwest Game Nerds podcast introducing myself. Alex is out of town. I'm filling in. Nick has graciously joined me as well. So we're excited to talk about this episode. Uh, what's it called against? Uh, Monster, Monster Swamp. Swamp. Yeah. All right. So in the, the teaser, the, it uh, opens with the Anvil Hotel with Linus and the school bus driving past. Tulip's Uncle Walter's passed out on the side of the road and one of the girls in her underwear being chased and a bunch of the other girls in their underwear being hunted down as well. Um, and it appears that Clive from Kincan and Meat and Power catches up and shoots the girl in her underwear. Lacey's her name. We find out it's Lacey uh, with a paintball of some sort, and she falls into a sinkhole. So we have this appearance of sinkholes. Yes. What do you, what do you know about those sinkholes, Nick? Uh, you know, maybe I do, maybe I don't. <laughs> I don't think I do, but maybe I do, and I okay. just don't remember. But I, I thought that opening was really cool. I thought it was super... Really, really very moody. It felt like an old exploitation movie. It was kind of had that Planet Terror vibe to it. Where yeah, it was totally. Very over the top with like the colors and the smoke and, and just the scantily clad women running through fields being chased by men with head, yep. headlamps on. It was, it was really interesting. And I was like, whoa, where is this coming from and where's it going? And, then, and the end result was not what I expected. No, it kind of caught me off guard. I was thinking like the, like these girls are actually being hunted, you know, yeah, like the, yeah. the, the, the whorehouse, uh, uh, what's it, toad, toad something? Yeah, I don't I remember. I can't remember. Right now. 
This is my first foray into these uh, TV show podcasts. So. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> my, my retention and recollection is awful. Just so you know, this is part of the reason I don't read books, and people are probably going to make fun of me for that. So That's all good. At least you get your notes. Yeah. The, so. uh, yeah. The, I thought I was actually watching the wrong show for a second. Like it started really? And I thought I was like, did I accidentally click on a Walking Dead episode or something? Because yeah. it, it was so different, but it was cool. It was an interesting beginning. Yeah, definitely. I definitely really dug that continues to set the tone for exactly the kind of rabble at work for Kin Cannon. Right. Which is interesting. It's funny because everybody in this episode says Kin Cannon so much, and I've always said it Quinn Cannon, and I'm sure Alex and I both, for the first like three episodes of this podcast, were probably saying Quinn Cannon. Yeah. And they're all saying Kin Cannon, and I'm like, oh, all right. I get that. It's probably correct. <laughs> I think I, a more like, interesting pronunciation. In my notes, I spelled it wrong through the whole thing. And, and then I had to go back and like rewrite his name because I couldn't remember. Like I, I don't even remember what I was calling him at the time. But then I had to go back through all my <laughs> notes awesome. and like rewrite it so I knew I would pronounce it properly. It's so. funny. As soon as you were about to read, when you were reading the introduction, I was just quickly scanning the IMDb page for this episode. And mm -hmm. I saw Donnie Shank and I was like, oh, shit. We got the wrong name, and I'm glad Bruce was on the ball with that. Somebody has to be. Yeah. <laughs> as, much, as hard we as we may try to eventually, be. Right. Just not right away. But All right. Call Bruce. Please let us know what goose we have in this episode. Yeah, any, anytime we screw up, we're, we're happy to, uh, to be called out. So moving on to Act 1 here, which opens with a flashback sequence, a young Jesse preparing for church, preparing the church for Mass. Jesse's father, who I realized plays Meacham in House of Cards. I thought that was kind of cool. Like the same character. They're all not the same character. Oh, well, the actor that plays uh, Meacham on House of Cards is the actor playing Jesse's yeah. father. So, anyways, Jesse's father begins mass to a packed house. The mysterious cowboy, played by Graham McTavish, is seen in attendance. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Oh, I totally didn't. Yeah. He, like, they just a quick, just quick spot of him sitting uh, in, the, in see, the audience there. Let that be a lesson to me for stopping to glance on my phone for even a minute during, right. during anything because you blink and you miss it. Ugh. And that's. Yeah, well, I'll talk. Well, I'll talk a little totally more. Totally, go back and watch it again. Right, so that that happens, uh, and then it flips to present day, and Cassidy is explaining how he chopped up Fiore and DeBlanc and buried them after they tried to attack Jesse with a chainsaw, and Jesse shrugs him off. And uh, I don't know if you want to discuss this at this point, but I have two other bullet points for this act. I'm not sure. Yeah, just bang them out. Sure. Okay, so the scene changes to Lacey being pulled up from the sinkhole, and Ken Cannon is telling his men to watch their rough housing and tells all the ladies from the whorehouse they need to watch where they're walking in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then he just walks off, and that's, that's, his, that's his whole little press conference for them. And uh, Tulip is standing by watching as Clive and his friends giggle about the dead hooker, and she's just kind of like, what the hell's your guy's problem, you know? Uh, and Jesse goes to visit Emily and asks about church attendance, wondering how the numbers have gone up. And he asks about maybe holding a, la a raffle. And she changes the subject to asking him about how he was seen breaking into Linus's house one night. And the next day, Linus is seen with his face all bandaged up. She states that she thought the church was doing all right and expresses the fact that she worries about Jesse. Jesse tells her not to worry and says that he's going to do something wonderful to help the church fill up every Sunday. So that was act one. Yeah, I really... Uh, Did I spit that all out a little too quick? I nah, feel like... <laughs> I think it's all right, you know. That's why we can listen back. Right, exactly. Uh, the, um... Yeah, the... The cowboy, that's crazy. I can't believe I missed that. I could be wrong. I yeah, like, And I watched it twice. I'm pretty damn yeah, sure. Yeah, you could be very right. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me. It's kind of cool. I'm like... I think I'm like 95% correct that it was him sitting there. And there was a pretty clear shot of his face. Gotcha. I'm gonna. I'm totally gonna look back, and because I would know Graham, uh, Graham McTavish's face anywhere, so I'm gonna check that out. But um, the uh, 
Jesse, Je- the scene where Cassie's explaining everything to Jesse is so funny. Like telling him exactly what's happened and that these guys, he thought these guys were after him, so he killed them. And he's right. just my problem. I'll take care of it. The whole thing was really funny because Jesse's just so focused on trying to figure out what to do with his power that yep. he's just and and or his missions that he thinks he has, and he's just totally everything's flying by him, and he's just not even paying attention. Doesn't even care. Yeah, it's really interesting. It was a funny scene though. It just reminded me. It was almost like a kind of feel like an old comedy duo kind of moment where one's just speaking rapid fire and the other one's just going uh-huh uh-huh and it's like these crazy outrageous things and it was all done in like one one long take throughout the yep. church which is pretty cool helped kind of amplify the just ridiculousness of jesse just tuning all this out and going oh yeah vampire hunters you said yeah <laughs> wh- whatever that was good uh what was the bullet before that uh the bullet before that was discussing the flashback um of young oh no hold on that's wrong uh explaining how uh that the the bullet before that was the sequence of jesse preparing the church for mass oh okay helping his dad and then his dad uh you know his dad is literally giving mass to a packed house you know every seat's full that was really cool yeah that was an interesting shows uh, the impact of his father on the community mm -hmm. like obviously like his dad was a big deal and it kind of uh lends to his character a little bit showing that you know he's not as his father you know he clearly has shifted from that and needs to step up his game to be at the same level as dad and also just how how times have changed i think too sure people used to just show up for church and now they're you know even the crowd in the pilot was so shrimpy and and tulip and cassidy were even there trying to pad it up a little (laughs) the uh the scene of Lacey getting pulled out was pretty insane i was like wow this is I uh, Ken Cadden on, on his little box standing up with that, his, that was really funny. Well, it was and it, it's yeah. his wife was the other with woman, right? Little, she's like weird little speaker yep. and microphone. Oh, that yeah, that was great. I don't even know how they dig up half the props and, and ideas they have in the right. show, but they're really good. Like, I don't really I don't unique. know if you saw my message in the group chat, but his uh, Ken Cannon should I think they were trying to cast John Malkovich as him because that guy reminds me so much of John Malkovich. Oh no, he's per uh, uh, Jack Harrell Haley is perfect. I think he's he's awesome in the role, but I feel he, like he gives me this John Malkovich, Malkovich vibe. vibe. Yeah, and like I totally King Cannon in the in the comic is a very diminutive man. Just okay, like that. he's very small and and slender and bald, and like it's it's spot on. But that is funny. He does kind of have a kind of a Malkovich, uh, like Malkovichenian. Yeah, and like delivery. His, like his yeah, his demeanor and his delivery is very much like Malkovich. Yeah, he's he's pretty disconnected from everything in this show right. it's really funny all the weird things he's doing to fill his time that yep. are, he just seems totally unengaged with the world it's really unsettling but he's uh he's good but i uh, the the shot of Lacey and i'm I, whether I, I presume it was intentional of her hanging from the chain as they're hosing her off reminded me a lot of the shot of the cowboy when he's walking through uh or to the town Ratwater, I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, and then you and there see were all people the... hanging from the trees. It kind of reminded me of that. All the scalped Indians. Yeah. There's kind of a similar... There's got a, it could be a coincidence, but it, right. felt, it felt kind of intentional. I guess we'll see if that ever ends up somehow being related. Right on. Um, okay. Act two opens with another flashback now of young Jesse and Tulip smoking. And Jesse's dad pulls him aside and begins lecturing him about being an example to look up to and then starts whipping him with a belt in front of the other kids, you know, <laughs> setting that example. Flips to present day. Cassidy's in a hotel with Fiore and DeBlanc asking what their plan is for Jesse. They explain they're going to cut open Jesse and scoop out what's inside of him, put it in a coffee can, and take it home. 
And Cassidy affirms that the two men are from heaven and proceeds to negotiate with them as to what his payment is for helping them with Jesse. He takes some cash from uh, DeBlanc's wallet and then leaves. And Fiore says he doesn't trust Cassidy and suggests that they let someone know what's going on. DeBlanc infers that it's not a good idea to let anyone know why they're quote-unquote down here. And the scene switches to Cassidy doing drugs with the hooker and ends. Uh, and then the next scene, it switches to uh, Ken Cannon sitting at his desk playing Qbert, which I found hilarious as a yeah. game nerd. <laughs> and the mayor shows up for a meeting to discuss the sinkholes. Ken Cannon calls out the mayor for meeting with a sus- sustainability organization called the Green Acre Group in Austin. And the mayor says they've been reaching out to Ken Cannon and that it would be a good partnership. And Ken Cannon tells the mayor a story about his grandfather taking care of another group that was trying to take over their business and that no one said a word about him doing so. And then he proceeds to piss in the mayor's open briefcase. End scene. Yeah. What a punctuation mark on the end of that scene. I know. That was that was a little... I don't, I don't know. I'd be so angry if somebody pissed in my briefcase. Yeah. And, and what's weird, I mean, a little bit later in the episode, there's a similar conversation about it. And the mayor doesn't really seem too offended by it he's more just annoyed he's right. kind of like oh man and ken cannon's like don't look at me <laughs> yeah <laughs> he just takes a leak in his bed ba- in his case it's so weird the uh what's interesting about cassidy talking to fior and and deblanc is he's uh he doesn't really seem to believe them which right it's kind of funny considering it's very reflective of the way he talks to jesse and is like yeah i'm a vampire and Jesse's like... Just shrugs him off. Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, whatever. That's funny. And it's funny because <laughs> Cassidy being this obviously extraordinary being, uh, he kind of is just dismissive of them. And I don't know whether it's he doesn't believe them or not or if he just doesn't care. He's kind of like, here's two weirdos with a wallet full of cash. I'm just going right. to take it and see what happens. Pretty entertaining. Yeah. yeah that, uh, that scene, actually, the, the shot of Cassidy uh, with all the drugs and the, and the hooker is, is really funny because the... The music was so good, and it made me realize that the the music they've had, all the source music they've had throughout this whole series is just perfectly mm-hmm. selected. And it reminds me of uh, Eastbound and Down. Have you ever watched that? Oh, yeah, totally. The way the music in that show, every song is absolutely like, feels like it was tailor-made for whatever scene they're doing. Like they, right. they, they just curate the most perfect music for that show, and this, this show feels a lot like kind of the same thing. They pick the, just the best songs, even if it's only this... 15 second shot it's just perfect yeah i wonder which of the two or three people who are the main writers it's uh seth rogan rogan uh evan green goldberg goldberg and then there's one other guy i can't remember i don't sam Ketlin. yeah i wonder which which of the three of them is the music nerd that's that's getting that like yeah i don't know because you know one of them's back or they just have a great music supervisor exactly like picking out these tracks yeah yeah so um not much to say about that one i guess <laughs> Bear with me, everyone. I'm the, I'm new at this. The just the inter- I'm really curious about the interaction between Cassidy and and the, the two men. How uh, how that's going to continue to to play out because they're just they're so strange and it's really funny because he he's killed them twice now and he's just kind of like yeah I'll, I'll just keep dealing with these guys like he doesn't really seem too phased by right. it right and he's like well I'm sure in his mind he's like I tried to tell Jesse and he just wouldn't listen so I did my job I'm just gonna take these guys money and right then, and then we'll, we'll take it from there see what he see what else he can milk out of them yeah exactly you know? just see where it goes right on all right and the next scene act three opens with Fiore and DeBlanc in the hotel and their otherworldly phone begins to ring or it appears to be ringing and uh DeBlanc tells the tells Fiore not to answer it and Fiore reaches for the hotel phone and picks it up because 
They're, the two phones are like right next to each other. And uh, it's someone from the front desk asking if they're checking out anytime soon. And Fiore tells them they'll, they'll be checking out. Uh, that was, that was funny. He said very soon. Very soon, which is right. Which is Cassidy exactly what Cassidy him. said yeah. when he left. Is either They asked him, when will you be back? And he goes, very soon. God, that guy is so funny. The guy they cast, uh, the real tall guy. Because he just is just so bizarre. Yeah, Everyone he has this Cassidy. very awkward demeanor. Yeah, he's so that, weird. Like, when he's like, when, when will you bring him? Soon. And he just walks right up to him. Be more specific. <laughs> Very soon. Yeah. And you could tell, like, he's, like, clearly the oddball who seems like he's kind of calibrating himself to how humans behave. Right. Like, he just hears something and it's kind of like, I'm going to use that. Whereas the other guy seems a little bit more quick, quicker on the uptake. Down to earth. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Up top. There you go. <laughs> the podcast is now renamed Down to Earth. Yeah. Gone to Texas, colon, down to earth, slash... No, that's uh, that. That was a that was funny. And then the the shot immediately after that of him staring into that vending machine, because uh, he just goes to the front desk. Yeah, because well, he saw the commercial for <laughs> yeah. the for the big as Texas, big as Texas, big as Texas burger, yeah. which I kept thinking they actually said big ass Texas burger. And he goes to the front desk and he asks the guy for the big ass Texas burger, and the guy is like, "We don't have a restaurant or room service, but we have a vending machine." And then he just he's just staring blank at a vending machine like he has no idea what the hell to do with it oh it was great so and good something about that shot again reminded me of eastbound and down like there's these throughout some of the episodes of that show they have these weird little shots that are somehow really beautiful but they're right. like totally meaningless or, yeah. or just stupid well it had this sharp contrast of color you've got like mm-hmm. the super blues and greens coming out of the vending machine you've got these really deep rich oranges and yellows in the background so there's just like you know this this very like ethereal feel going on with it. You know it's glowing on him, yeah. and, and it's got this slow like zoom going that was in. Great. And, yeah, and it was just the, well done. It's becoming more and more apparent that they're not from from Earth or from any anywhere that's familiar. Because right. when you initially meet them, you think they're they're like rangers or something. And now it, when he, I had this realization when he goes to leave the room and he says he's hungry and he just picks up his ten gallon hat and puts it on. I'm like, he has no idea what to do with that. He just sees right. other people wearing it. And he's like, this is what people around here wear. Yep. I will put it on my head too. It's really funny. He just stands there like such a weirdo in front of the vending machine. Yeah, that's great. And then the scene changes to the mayor sitting at Emily's house and she's coming in the door with the TV for the raffle. Uh, she offers to pay him for babysitting the kids and he tells her not to bother. It's the least he can do because she's so helpful with the community and everything. Um, and uh, it switches the scene switches to the two of them, you know, sitting chatting at the table. This is when the mayor is is telling her about how some other uh, townsperson defecated on his driveway and yeah. helped and, him uh, clean it up. Help, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy was apologizing the whole time while doing it because he was so conflicted over what he was doing. Um, and then uh, Emily and the mayor are getting down. You yeah, know, which Pretty- I didn't see that coming, but it was a really. It was a really funny kind of reveal because right. she says, like, I'm never going to be with you. Right, exactly. And then he goes, yeah, I yeah, know. You tell me all the time. And, and I then she promptly that, takes her pants yeah, off. Yeah, I assume she meant that in like a sexual way. But right. I guess she must mean just they'll never have a relationship. They'll never like, you know, it's never going to be more than just sex. She won't marry him. But yeah, that was pretty funny how then he, you know, she says, don't let the kids, the kids almost caught you last time. Right. You got to be out here by morning. And then he just puts the wine glasses in the sink and kind of starts to clean up and like yep. plays husband for just a brief second before going in there. It was really interesting. And then the uh, after that, the scene switches to the brothel and the girls are standing around having a memorial service or, of some sort for Lacey. 
Tulip begins to lose her shit over what happened to Lacey and gets talked down to by Clive, you know, who says no one wants to hear her bullshit. Mosey stops the situation from escalating and tells all the girls and Ken Cannon men that in honor of Lacey, the next hour's on the house. And then we learn that Tulip's mother was one of the Toadvine girls. Toadvine, that's it. Toad I wrote it down. Vine. The Toadvine whorehouse. Uh, so Tulip's mom was one of the whorehouse whores, you know, brothel women's, women of the night. The women folk. Yeah. And... Uh, Let's see, what did I leave off of my notes here? And she hears loud music start playing upstairs and she runs up and, you know, just starts beating the hell out of Cassidy, thinking that he's Clive. Cassidy falls out of the window and is bleeding from his neck with a giant piece of glass <laughs> hanging out of it. And uh, the scene switches to hit, uh, Tulip holding Cassidy in a car as one of the other girls is driving them to a hospital. And uh, at the hospital, Cassidy runs off as Tulip's trying to get him a doctor. She finds him in a room drinking blood from blood packs and he looks up and says, You were right, love. I think I'm going to make it. Which, uh, yeah. Pretty, he, I Cassidy, I think, is my favorite character. Like, I don't know if, like, I, I'm never going to take him serious, even when he is serious. And I think that's probably the same way Jesse feels about him. Yeah. You know, like, maybe that's, that's being cast on us as viewers as well. So, Cassidy's really interesting because he, he comes off as, as very dumb, but he's not dumb. And sometimes he comes off as though he doesn't care. But right. That's not true either. And he's he's a very he, he's a very three dimensional or four dimensional even character. Like there's a lot to him, and he's got a lot more complexity than what's on the surface. Right. It's kind of interesting because most of the characters in the series by this point you kind of have figured out. But Cassidy, you think you do, but do you really think you do? Like if you think you do, that's fine. But right. I, I think that there's it seems like even just what's laid out in the show is that there's a lot more to him than than what what's being led on, and we still don't really know what he's what he's about what he's after have they alluded to how old he is as a vampire yet? he said he was 119 in, okay i think in the pilot or the second episode when he and jesse are, are yeah just getting drunk. i thought okay i thought so I must and he tells him that. straight up he's like i'm a 119 year old vampire from the city of dublin right and uh and jesse just like laughs and was like yeah sure <laughs> you are and Oh, I like uh, it. It's kind of funny that Jesse doesn't bother to question why he runs outside in like a, a, a little a little hat, like a rice paddy hat, right. and uh, all wrapped up in like a big blanket. It's really funny, Jesse. Oh, and he's he was smoking uh, fiberglass insulation out of the apple out pipe. Of an that apple. Because yeah. he basically is willing to ingest anything and everything to get just, just screwed up. You yeah, know, exactly. get a, get a high, feel something. You know, I yep. think is. What it? What and that's it, pretty. That's pretty important. I mean, I think to remember about Cassidy is that he's very. And we are seeing shades of that. That he's he's a very kind of lonely uh, guy who doesn't really have much going for him. Doesn't really feel much of anything, like you said. And it's it's really interesting still that he's hanging around in Anvil. Right. They haven't really in the series anyway said too much of why he's sticking around, other than that he really does feel a genuine friendship with Jesse. Uh, I didn't realize uh, wholly until this moment. Uh, in in this episode, that he and, and Tulip had not actually met yet. They've been in the same space. They'd been in the church together, right. but they haven't ever actually like been introduced or or anything. Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> Until she yeah. kicks the shit out of him. <laughs> yes, yeah, and then kisses him in the backseat of the right. car. And then that moment was funny. And uh, yeah, that was a uh, pretty interesting. I think that in, in kind of in regards to to what Bruce said, I think um, we got. A little bit more about Tulip in the previous episode. We actually got a lot more about yeah. her, and and that was really, I think, satisfying for for both myself and Alex. And uh, that felt like a step in the right direction because she's so interesting. And this episode felt like a little bit of a backslide once again. She felt like kind of a one note, just like 
that girl died and that's wrong and there wasn't really much more right, exactly. to it but uh, i think we do you know learning about her her mom and how she and jesse have known each other since they were little kids is, is pretty interesting yep. and that her, jesse's dad probably thought she was like you know from the wrong side of the tracks smoking yep. cigs outside the church type thing yeah she's a good character no i like i like her a lot i i like like her her and cassidy are definitely like my favorites I think the little girl they cast as her as a kid is really fitting too. Like oh, she yeah. looked just like her. So yeah, I looked at the, the little kid who plays Jesse as a kid, and I was like, "How do you cast young Dominic? Dominic Cooper's so distinct looking. He yeah. just has this just this look." And I was listening to the uh, I, I started listening to the AMC's uh, Preacher Insider podcast, mm-hmm. and it's really good. It's really really cool. And like Alex suggested in the previous episode, uh, it really did provide a lot of cool insight into the into the series which I was really just jonesing for and it made me even more excited for it and made me want to watch it even more but they were they spend like 4 minutes talking about Dominic Cooper's hair and it's so funny <laughs> Well, I noticed like through the episode, his hair gradually gets bigger. It just kind of does, yeah, <laughs> crazy shit. It's got a life of its own. Which is yeah, and that's exactly <laughs> what they say. They say there's no controlling it, and they they said that they tried, they uh, tried making it more like it is in the comics. Because in the comic, he has this weird, like almost like a Jerry curl hair. It's like, really weird, strange. puffy looking. Like, yes, yeah. yeah, and it's it's almost like Dylan hair. If Dylan hair was a thing, Dylan, Dylan. face is a, is a, is fact. It is. <laughs> We're gonna have to real, make another page called Dylan hair. Dylan hair. It, it it was it is pretty much what I would say is Dylan hair, but it, it's um it's a very distinct look. And they said they actually tried like throughout the wardrobe and and, and makeup process to get it like that. And they were like, there was just no doing it. Yeah. And I'm I'm really glad they didn't because I don't think it would have translated well. Right. And I think this, his hair in the show is really funny and like interesting and distinct. Cause it's, like, it's a character in itself. Well, yeah, like, like our logo for the show has just his silhouette see and it, the yeah. hair is totally like a highlight of it. But they talk about... Those I, were the two... Th- so I'm, I, uh, you know, disclaimer to the to the crowd listening, I, I made the logo for the show. Yes. Uh, and the, the, the two things I wanted to focus on were A, the hair and B, the... the the preacher the collar, collar. And, yeah. and even with the as small as that logo is you can still see that preacher oh, yeah. collar so his wardrobe is spot on from the comics yeah. it's perfect it's so good but the hair is hilarious and i think it's evan goldberg says he's talking about just how phenomenal his hair is and he goes you could stick a fork in it and it would just, <laughs> it would just bend like a, it's just the thickest hair it's really it's really funny but that the show is actually really really great they, they get really in depth about a lot of stuff and that's uh, awesome i really really like it so uh, anyway, that's a little segue about Jesse's hair. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to watch that uh, or listen to that podcast. Yeah, it's great. All right, so that that was Act Three. Um, Act Four now opens with a flashback: of young Jesse being woken up by his father, who says it's you know they have to go. They walk down a hall, and Jesse's dad tells him to wait as he steps into Odin King Cannon's office. Jesse steals the ashtray that's resting on the end table next to him, and uh, you hear some muffled shouting as Jesse's dad leaves the office, and you hear Odin yell, "Denounce him!" And uh, as Jesse gets up, he peers into the office and continues walking. They don't actually show us what's going on in the office or what he sees, but obviously something's going on because the music intensifies. There's some. And he, yeah, he looked pretty little freaked out. Yeah, a little what like what? Yeah. So, uh, like, yeah, I'm really curious. I, I mean, I think I, based on established knowledge, I kind of think I might know what was going on in there. But it's uh, it's definitely pretty pretty horrifying. They did the good uh, the good thing. Where they don't show you right away, they just show the right. reaction. And I was talking about that in, uh, I think, the pilot episode that they, they did that with uh, the two little kids in the in the tornado shelter while while Tulip is shooting yeah. in a helicopter. They don't show anything. That was one they, of my favorite scenes. Yeah, they just show the reactions, <laughs> and that that's uh, that's so often the temptation to really show the thing is 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 huge, but to uh, to just show reactions is 
generally more powerful. And that moment was pretty freaky. I was like, oh, God, this is really. Yeah. And he has that ashtray in, earlier in the episode. He's using the same ashtray uh, oh. when he's sitting in the window. I uh, didn't notice he has, that. After he has the first flashback about his dad, he's sitting in the window. Smoking and, a and cigarette, he's smoking yeah. And he uses that same. So he's still hanging on to that ashtray. Right. So I think that there's some. Interesting. There's some underlying existing relationship with Kin Cannon that I yeah. think Jesse's hanging on to a little bit. And the, yeah, totally. I didn't even notice that. I'm gonna have to go back and watch. I mean, it again. I'm 99 percent sure. I do. I believe you. I I, I totally. I, I do. noticed. I mean, I noticed it when he flicked when he when he ashed his uh, cigarette in it because I was like, that's a that's an interesting looking ashtray. And right. He swipes it later, and I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is the same one. Yep. And then uh, on the ride home, Jesse's dad says to him, "Some people just can't be saved." And th- and then Jesse tucks the ashtray further into his pocket. The scene flips to present day. Jesse's sitting with King Cannon as he paints figurines for the display of the Alamo that he's working on. Yeah. Um, Jesse asks King Cannon to come to church tomorrow as a leader of the community, and King Cannon turns him down in an effort to persuade him. Jesse brings up his old age, and, and a discussion of what comes after death comes up. King Cannon says, nothing. Jesse asks, what if we're held to account for our actions? And King Cannon goes through a series of what ifs, and Jesse then asks if he's afraid of death, to which King Cannon replies, nope, seems to me you are a preacher. Um, Jesse says he can make Odin go to church, and Odin says that wouldn't be very Christian. And then Jesse uses his dad's land as incentive to get Odin to come to church because uh, he, you know, he realizes that King Cannon really wants that land and always has wanted it, but Jesse's dad wouldn't give it up. And uh, he says to, uh, to Odin, if, if, you know, if you don't leave the sermon as a Christian, then the land is yours, and then the eclipse to commercial. Yeah, that was a good uh, a good scene. It went by. It was interesting to me that it took up essentially a whole act of the of the show, and yeah. it was very. It wasn't really intense in like a scary way, but it was intense in a way of like you have two very strong personalities and right next to each other, and just both kind of talking about the same thing, but not. Right. I really liked. Uh, I mean, Jackie Earl Haley is is obviously he's he's an awesome actor, but he was. He's able to do so much with so little in in this scene in particular. Like just the, the raises of his eyebrows and the way he even scoffs at Jesse is just yep. very, very good. It's just very dismissive. It's really awesome. And the fact that he's putting together a, a replica of the Alamo or like right. a, a model of, of the Alamo and he and Jesse are deliberating where Jim Bowie died is really right. funny. <laughs> As good Texans, you'd think they would yeah. both know, but uh, now they've made me go, where did he die? And right. does anyone really know? Cool. I mean, I've, I forgot about the Alamo. They, you're supposed to remember <laughs> the Alamo. I know. I'm a, hor- I'm a horrible American. <laughs> How do you forget about the Alamo? I think the last, I think the last trade of Preacher is actually called the Alamo or the Alamo. Something, somehow it revolves around the Alamo. Like the, the, the name of the, the final book. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, that was interesting. That, yeah, was, the, that the, was cool. The whole scene to me kind of played out like a little bit of a struggle of power. In a yeah. way, you know, like you have Ken Cannon, who's like clearly a big, you know, force within the community, and you have Jesse, who's like struggling to like become a bigger part of the community, and he realizes he kind of needs Ken Cannon to do that. Yeah, and Jesse's very focused now, which is yeah. cool. He's in the first few episodes we see him; he's a little bit of a mess, uh, and even when he's not drunk or just kind of wallowing, he's just kind of aimless and detached. And, right, and now he's. He's very hyper-focused on what's going on. He has a purpose. He does. At least he thinks he does, and he's got to figure it out. He thinks he knows what his purpose is, but mm-hmm. he's not sure, but he thinks it involves Ken Cannon and uh, using him to his advantage. Yeah. No, it, was, it was a good scene, for sure. I like the something about the Alamo. It's the fact that they're working on that is really interesting. Yeah. 
I just I only think of Pee Wee's Big Adventure when I think of the Alamo. That's <laughs> hard, the only that's the only to. thing that pops up in my head. <laughs> Do you remember anything? I remember the Alamo. <laughs> so, uh, and then we switch to the final act here, which opens with a packed house at the church, and Jesse begins thanking everyone for coming, and starts talking about how the world is turning to shit, and explaining that everyone's turned their back on the church because they don't see what good it's going to do to show up to mass. And Jesse tells everyone that they're sinners and he's going to bring them back, starting with one man. And as he lays his hand on Odin's shoulder, he asks him if he asks Odin if he's going to serve God. And Kincannon says no and begins to get up to leave, telling Jesse that he has lost. You know, you you didn't win, Jesse. Like, I'm going to take your land, basically. Uh, Jesse places his hand on Odin's shoulder and speaks with his otherworldly voice, telling Odin to serve God. And then uh, he asks him, will you serve God? And he says, of course. Yes, of course I will. He keeps repeating it. Yeah, says it a few times. And then the scene flips to Fiore eating some Cheetos. He finally figured out what he wanted from that vending machine, and he picked Cheetos, which makes me really like him as a character because I would have I made the same choice. Like Everything else in that machine looked really plain, and I was like, Cheetos for sure. Cheetos, Cheetos pop. Yeah. I was expecting to see him just going ham on his fingers. And <laughs> like licking, licking all, all the, the orange shit yeah, off yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, totally, man. Uh, and then, uh, the, so he's eating some Cheetos, and then, a phone starts ringing in the hotel, and it turns out it's the otherworldly phone that's ringing, and uh, fades to black, and that's the end. With some more really awesome music, yeah, clanging. Very well placed music for sure. It's funny because the phone they must have never that phone must be for the most dire of emergency. That must be the president's red phone because you would think they would know what it sounds like. Right, and uh, it's cool how they play the gag where he hears it ringing, and he absentmindedly just grabs the hotel phone, and then the ringing continues, and it's it turns out it's the other phone. Right, and uh, that I think that kind of sets up the the stakes that they don't even know what this thing sounds like for sure, so it must be that important of, of a line. That's pretty cool. The uh, Ken Cannon in church was really funny. The moment when Jesse first comes over and says, "Will you serve God?" and he goes, "Nope," and, and everybody's like, it, <gasps> "Yeah," the way he says it is hilarious. It's just the most like. Off the cuff, just yeah, no, no, I'm not gonna do that. Yep, that scene, uh, with Jesse really calling out everybody was, was so good, and that's what I've been waiting for because the comic pretty much start, it doesn't start with that, but it's almost the inciting incident, yeah, of the story. So the first issue of the book kind of flips around chronologically, all, okay. with, all within the span of like a day or a couple of days, but the the kind of the first big inciting incident is Jesse basically. Telling everybody that they suck and, and calling him out. It's way, it's way worse in the book. Like he goes down down the line and like calls out certain individuals for like awful things they've done. Right. He pretty much like breaches the the confidentiality like in front of a bunch of people. But it's a it's a really good scene and and I think it it it's the Jesse that I expected the okay. se- in the series. The one who's a little bit angrier about everything. He's just fed up. He's out of patience. He's just angry and just doesn't understand why people can't just be good people. And like it, it, you know, sinning is one thing, but like being habitually a sinner and just constantly being bad and not seeming to care about it is right. what just drives him, is what drives him to do what he's doing. And so when the when the series started and he was not really like that, I was kind of like, well, this is different. He's a little softer. Yeah. But now he's kind of starting to get to that place where a little bit of that piss and vinegar is starting to bubble to the surface and, right, and we and did get a little bit in the first episode where he where he fights donnie in the bar yeah. and, and and we got a little glimpse of that like angry guy in there but i liked that scene it didn't go where i where i was in my mind thinking it was gonna go but it was cool to see the, the kind of 
moments, the shades of Jesse like that, where he's just yeah. And, and I think I think we're going to see that shift happen even more so as he starts exploring the power that he has, as well as just you know finding that purpose, you know, that he thinks he has to, that he needs, you know, what what he's doing as as preacher, you know, being like filling that role. What does he have to do? And and if like you know like really being forceful and angry and like like you know commanding people to do things yeah. and be a certain way is something we're gonna see more of I think and, moving forward. And how much is he is he just gonna have to tell them? Like how many times right. do you have to tell them or does he have to command it? And Ken Canton actually had a great point when he says I can make you and he says that wouldn't be very Christian of you. Right. He's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really good. He's like you can't just make people do whatever you want. Isn't that against your your whole ideology? So that's uh it was it was an interesting another another part of that scene that was so great. But yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, wonder... is it though? I mean, you kind of struggle with like fate versus free will at that point in a way. You know it's what true. I mean? So, it, you know, people who tend to lean towards religion probably believe more in like a fateful thing and, and feel as though like the, the commanding is something that comes along with the job. Whereas those who follow free will don't, no matter what they do, they're going to do whatever the hell they want. Uh, and in this case, like if you're running into people that are only going to do whatever the hell they want, like, you kind of have to force them. You kind of have to be the the driving. You, know, you got to push them in the right direction. And I, I think it's going to be difficult for, for Jesse to figure out how to push people in the right direction without them doing something wrong. You know, right. like, uh, I can't remember the character's name in the first episode, the guy who cuts out his heart. Ted Ryerson. Yeah, when he, that guy <laughs> cuts out his heart and hands it to him. I mean, obviously, like, the words Jesse used when he was talking to that guy didn't necessarily mean go and cut out your heart and hand it to your mom. Like, don't do that. But that's how he interpreted it. So he has to be very careful with how he words things from here on out. And I don't know if he, I don't know if he realizes that yet. Uh, Yeah. That's what we were saying in the last episode. I don't, I don't think he still really hasn't, there are two things still. Jesse hasn't seemed to remember the, the being that visited him that gave him the power initially. And he doesn't seem to have made that connection necessarily, or maybe he hasn't just, just internalizing it and working through it. I don't know. I wonder if he'll just end up getting really drunk again and like having a flashback of some sort and like, like pulling in pieces of that night, you know? Yeah. I was kind of wondering if maybe it was just blocked and and he couldn't recall it or if when, when, whenever the two gentlemen finally catch up with him, if they'll be able to shed some light on it and jog his memory. I wonder, I think, I kind of think Jesse's plan might be if he just makes Ken Cannon do it, then everyone else will follow suit. Right. Because he's a pillar of the community. I don't think Jesse would, would be down for commanding every single individual person to come to church because what's what's the point of that? You right. Know? Then you're but he's creating it. a leader so that people I think have someone he, to follow. Yeah, he thinks if he manipulates this one person into doing it, the rest will just follow by, by suit, and then he'll be able... He sees it as a means to an end type of thing. And we've already... Uh, in the previous episode, I talked about how Donnie was starting to kind of seemed like he was kind of catching on to like that there was something off about the preacher, right? And then, did you watch the the yeah, little, the tease little of teaser next for week? next episode? Yeah, there's a little glimpse of Donnie basically confirming that uh, preachers making people do things. Yeah, there you go, nailed <laughs> it. Uh, so yeah, I think it, it's it's it was a pretty solid episode. I, I don't yeah, think it for was, sure. I, I don't think it was by any means my favorite. I've I've found myself becoming more interested in the show with each episode like I, I kind of binged the first three and then I waited for four to air last night gotcha. and like the first one I was kind of like eh, it's okay and the second one I was like this is getting good and third one was like all right I'm digging this and then the fourth one I was like okay like I'm I feel invested now yeah so totally yeah uh, it's the mythology is really starting to, to unroll in front of us we're really sure. starting to get a lay of the land and the characters and 
kind of how things are shaping up. So it's uh, it's really exciting. For sure. I'm totally I'm, I'm pumped to see where it goes. And one of the so Alex wants me to, to add in the section of questions we want to ask. I feel like we had a couple in that this this last five minute uh, segment we just talked. But I, there's one question I want to throw out there. And it's something that I'm going to have to go back and do. But um, the sign for the church, there's always red letters. And I want to compile a list of the red letters and see if that does anything. Uh. So that's one of my questions is what do the red letters signify, if at all, if anything? I don't know. That's cool. I but I realized that. that every time they do a clip of that sign, there's a couple of letters are red. And they didn't have one this episode, did they? I, I think there was maybe one or two. I don't remember. It might have been in like the, one of the flashback scenes. Uh, but I'm going to have to go back and start putting that together because I'm assuming they're going to do that in every episode. Mm. And I, I think I... Uh, Personally, I think like symbolism and stuff like that in literary is literary works tends to be kind of garbage. I don't necessarily believe in. It. I think English teachers make it up to make you think about stories more. <laughs> but stuff like that, like these little letters and things that are like they're not literary things. It's like a literal, um, you know, visual representation of something on screen. It's meant to mean something. You know, like those red letters are very stark in contrast to the very sepia, sepia tone, like background and colors. So I'm curious as to like what that might lead to in the future. I hope it is something. That That's cool. I had always just like probably most people who are watching this show just laughed at whatever dumb joke was right. on the sign and then gone, ah, that's good. And then yep. moving on. But the, that, yeah, that is really cool. I hadn't even picked up on that. Yeah, so that's that's my one question here. Yeah, uh, that that and I I my only really burning question is when is Jesse going to remember or, or when when are they going to reveal what it is? Right. Cuz I think we've been I think by the end of the season there's only two or three more episodes left, I think. This was four, but I, th- I think maybe five technically. There this season's 10, I'm pretty sure. Is it? I don't know. But I would assume by the end of the season they, they kind of have to reveal what exactly is going on. We have six that. more. Okay. So yeah, oh, absolutely. By the end of the season, but I kind of think we need it a little sooner than that. They'll probably hit it like episode seven. Yeah, we need we need. I think that's kind of the mystery that's that's going to crack a lot of stuff wide open. So I understand why it might be pushed towards the back of the season, but I uh, I really want some answers a little sooner on that front. So we'll see. Right on. Cool. All right, well, once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on G2TPodcast.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We're also G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us at G2TPodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of the show, share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on air, send us corrections, observations, anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. If you want to hear Nick and Alex talk about film and movies and other awesome stuff with a few of their other friends, be sure to check out the Midwest Film Nerds podcast at MidwestFilmNerds.com, which is also available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. And uh, you can listen to me talk about video games with Alex and my friend Brian and some other guests that we have here and there on the Midwest Podcast Network, uh, Midwest Game Nerds Podcast. So check that out at MidwestGameNerds.com. The theme music for Gone to Texas is the song All In by the band The Red Thread and is being used under a non-commercial creative common license. So all that being said, Nick, any final thoughts? No, thanks for coming on. Yeah, definitely. Thanks Thanks for for coming on and uh, go forth and speak the good word. Word. Word.